Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome into the flagship podcast, everybody. I am Chip Brown, Horns247.com. I'm joined, as always, by our fearless leader, the managing editor of Horns247, Taylor Estes. Taylor, how you doing? I'm doing well, Chip. How are you doing? I mean, 10 practices in, 10 of the 15 spring football practices in, we are talking Football, baby. I mean, with maybe a little Texas baseball and a little Scotty Scheffler mixed in, but football. And here's the thing. We had a scrimmage first on Saturday. One. Yeah, first one of spring. First one that Steve Sarkeesian is acknowledging. And guess what? <laughs> Quinn Ewers lit it up. Lit it up. I mean, touchdowns all over the place. Arm angles like Patrick Mahomes. Quinn Ewers, baby. And here's the thing. We we knew this day was coming. Didn't know if it would be, you know, nine practices into spring ball or two weeks into fall camp or whatever. We knew Quinn Ewers was going to have a performance that would cause everyone to go, wow. Right. And so the first of those performances has happened. And all I will say is slow down, Texas fans, <laughs> slow down, slow down. I know you want to let your minds run wild. You want to, you, you have visions of, of yours, you know, apex training mate, Patrick Mahomes. You have visions of grandeur. You have visions of national titles and big 12 championships. Slow down. <laughs> slow down because according to steve sarkeesian there were interceptions in tuesday's practice and right but well but he stood out the most i mean you know if you didn't see our notes over at horns 24 7 definitely go over from saturday scrimmage hudson standish uh really delivered the goods in those insider notes package but every source that you know we spoke with the first thing they talked about was, you know, Quinn Ewers being the MVP of the scrimmage. And um, it's probably not surprising, I think, for some fans, you know. Um, but again, you know, this is what happens with any type of young quarterbacks, right, Chip? I mean, they're going to have some performances if they're talented that are going to be like, whoa, you know, um, like how Quinn Ewers had. And then they may follow it up by throwing interceptions in practice the next day, you know, and they're not getting hit too in, in practice also. So, yeah, I mean, there's, I think it's a positive sign that not only was Quinn Ewers, you know, quote unquote, the MVP, according to sources that were in attendance at the scrimmage, but also, you know, Hudson Carr did get a lot of love too. So it sounds like the quarterback position may be starting to, you know, gel in the way that would be ideal for Steve Sarkeesian in, you know, year two as the head coach at Texas. Right. I mean, 
the both quarterbacks completed 70% of their throws in the scrimmage. And again, as Taylor said, it's a scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Quarterbacks don't get hit. But here's the thing. Okay, so here it's it's a step. This is a step. So you want you wanted to hear that Quinn Ewers is making plays, that right. he has the arm talent, that it's showing up on the field. He's throwing deep ball touchdowns to to uh, Xavier Worthy. He's finding Jordan Whittington for a touchdown. He's throwing with a crazy arm angle to Jatavian Sanders and all that. You you want to hear that, and it's a step, and that's that's what you want because this is going to be an accumulation of install for Quinn Ewers. He's he's getting pieces of the offense and then he's got to put it all together and come, you know, 2 3 weeks into fall camp, even a week out from the season, that's when he's got to show that he's got total command of the offense and impress upon the coaches that he can handle whatever happens, even if they prepare for uh, the defense to do something uh, plan a, and then something completely different happens on the field that he has the calm, the poise, the confidence to be able to handle that situation, make plays off schedule, all that stuff. So I would say this about Saturday's scrimmage. Awesome. First step for Quinn Ewers in, in his, uh, development as a Texas quarterback. We know he's got great arm talent. So does Hudson Cart. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have to see what Quinn Ewer's pocket presence looks like. He has not played, uh, he has not started, excuse me. He's not started a football game for two years, not since that 2020 state championship game at South Lake Carroll against Austin Westlake. He had a couple of handoffs at Ohio state, um, where he was miserable. Um, and now he's happy. His teammates all say he's happy. He's got great demeanor. He's calm. He's cool. He's collected. But we still have to see what his pocket presence looks like. And we may not get to see that until the season starts. So, um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian gets paid the big bucks to figure all that out. But in the meantime, he's putting the ball where it needs to be. His receivers are making plays uh, in uh, a scrimmage in the spring. We'll see what vanilla milk toast they serve us on April 23rd for the orange-white game. and really the orange white game, you're just looking to see if the quarterbacks make any egregious errors because right. they're not going to show you anything. I mean, they might give you a little razzle dazzle, um, but just to keep you interested, but you're, you're, you're looking for growth. You're looking for steps forward and not three steps forward and two steps back or, you know, so it's a, it's a step and it's a positive step. It is. It's a positive step. Yeah, it's a huge positive step. And, you know, when when you talk about Quinn Ewers, honestly, I feel like all spring I've been going kind of back to our interview that we did um, a number of weeks ago with South Lake, well, um, with uh, Riley Dodge, South Lake Carroll head coach, and got his input on what Quinn Ewers was. And when, you know, talking about this is definitely a first step. You're exactly right, Chip saying that you need to see it on the field, like in an actual game, hundred percent agree with it. But the one thing that Riley Dodge really, really, you know, hit home in that interview podcast that we did with him was about Quinn Ewers demeanor. He was always the cool, calm, 
collected type of guy. And, you know, there were times where Riley Dodge said that he sometimes would have to check himself. Like, am I being too crazy here? Because he is so, you know, even keeled and then still delivers too. And, you know, sometimes you want to see the quarterback maybe not be as, you know, um, maybe kind of be in guys. Emotion. Yeah. Riley Dodge was like, I wanted him to show more fire and he, he didn't, but that's not who he is. He's a cool cat. Yeah. And that's what, and you know, and that's something that it's, it's worked out for him, um, you know, in his career, I think too. And, and you have to think back to that season, you know, Quinn Ewers had double hernia surgery. He missed a number of games. So the fact that he would be coming back from an injury, missing all that time and still lead a team to a state championship um, appearance, that's, that was so huge, I think. But, you know, I, I really think it's going to be interesting to see how he can do it at the college level. But, you know, the, the, the minute that you hear the thing about Quinn Ewers being cool, calm, collected, everything, I can't help but go back to Riley Dodge and hearing a coach, a head coach, a successful head coach say that he sometimes would have to check himself. You know, I think that that's really powerful to hear. And so, you know, as you mentioned, Chip, positive first step, no doubt about it. You want to see it in an actual game setting where the quarterbacks are getting hit. You may not see that until the fall, but you have to take your wins where you get them right now, especially at the quarterback position. And this is a big win for Texas. Well, and let's be honest, this team needs players to rally around. They need they need positivity. When yes. you turn over a third of your roster and you're coming off a five and seven season and you're not quite sure, I mean, we're, we'll get into Moro Ojimo and his comments from last week and Steve Sarkeesian kind of, you know, expressing disappointment that Moro, you know, Ojimo was talking about how difficult it is to get an entire team to burn with the same desire to win uh, and not be distracted by things like chasing women, alcohol and money. Um, but, you know, more Ojimo talked about how the veterans on this team are trying to get the younger players to, you know, understand you got to hate to lose. You got to burn to win. This isn't easy. Don't get distracted. And they need positivity. They need things to believe in. What what did we hear, you know, back in 04 and 05? The players walked out on the field. They felt like they were the better team in large part because Vince Young was the quarterback. In 08, 09, it was because Colt McCoy was the quarterback. And, and now you need a guy who can, you know, make this team believe when they walk on the field that they've got a chance to beat Louisiana Monroe, beat Alabama, beat UTSA and start to build towards something. And, and the quarterback position is so critical to that confidence level of the whole team that it is an important first step. And so I'm not under stating that at all, but it is a spring scrimmage. Um, my gosh, all week we've heard about this kid, a Jai hall at Alabama and, he was the star of Alabama's spring game last year. Nick Saban said he was going to be amazing. Now he's in the transfer portal. And apparently the guy's got more baggage than a bellhop at the Ritz-Carlton. <laughs> and this could be a careful what you wish for, for whoever gets a Jai Hall. But they're still talking about the spring game that he he had all these incredible plays in. Okay. In 2021, too. <laughs> in 2021. Last year, yeah. Last year's spring game. So <laughs> it's it's a spring game. But 
good news. Uh, Quinn Ewers looking like he's getting more and more comfortable, uh, and his teammates are seeing it. I had one source tell me this was the best uh, performance by a quarterback in a practice scrimmage situation in the last three years, including Sam Ellinger's final year at Texas. So that's high praise, and it comes from someone who's you know been right there, seen everything. So take that for what it's worth. It's it's a positive uh, first step. But Taylor, there's other things going on with this football team, and um, I think you know one of the more significant notes. And you you wrote about uh, the offensive line in your uh, practice notes from last week. But Hayden Connor, the uh, redshirt freshman um, who played guard mostly last year, and uh, you know sparingly. Once Denzel Okafor got hurt, Hayden Connor played more, but uh, he, through the first eight practices of spring ball, he'd been working at left and right guard opposite of junior Angelau. And now he's working at left tackle. He was at left tackle for the, with the first team in the scrimmage. And again, on Tuesday, and that to me is, you know, a, what is going on with Andre Carrick and Jalen Garth? Mm-hmm. You know, we heard Moro Ojomo last week say that both Andre Carrick and, and Jalen Garth need to grow up. And now's the time they need to show if they're in this to win this, or if they're just happy to be on the team. And, and so here we have another wake up call with Hayden Connor, uh, getting the reps, uh, with the first team at left tackle. And that has allowed Cole Hudson the early enrollee freshman to take Connor's spot at guard with the first team. So Cole Hudson getting some, some big time reps with the first team as uh, an early enrollee freshman. So significant developments on the offensive line. Yeah, there's a lot of developments there. And, and Chip, we touched, we touched on this in our last week's uh, Wednesday show of the flagship podcast about Andre Carrick and Jalen Garth really needing to take the step. I mean, now is the, time to do it. I mean, right now is when these offensive linemen can really make a claim for a a starting role before these true freshmen come in, the six true freshmen that will be enrolling after the spring semester. I mean, this is, this needs to be a wake up call. And the fact that it's not, it hasn't, it doesn't seem to be, I should say, you know, we're not in the locker room. We don't, we don't know what is going on between the players and the locker rooms. But when you have a fifth-year senior guy in Moro Ojomo talking about, you know, that they got to grow up, that should in itself be something that you don't take lightly. You don't take that type of comment lightly, especially from your teammate. And I kind of liked that he called it out. I really do. And I know some some people are, you know, on the fence or think that that's the t- even Steve Sarkeesian think that that type of conversation needs to be you know, kept in-house and not be expressed publicly. But when, you know, listening back to what Moro Jomo had to say and everything, you know, all of the comments that he made, I took it as a veteran player who has just been fed up with the constant hype, but never delivery of this team. And, and, you know, and now there's, there's even more, um, you know, uh, distractions with the NIL stuff. I mean, you know, when, when Moro Jomo was a freshman, he, that wasn't even on the table yet. They were not able to make money off their name, image, and likeness. No players were. So this is a new development too. And I, and I think that 
you know, say what you will about whether it should have been said publicly or not. It, it needs to be, they, it needs to be heard. That's what it needs to be. It doesn't need to just be, you know, said it needs to be heard by these guys. And, you know, Chip, when you mentioned, you know, I, um, I talked to some people that were um, in attendance for last week's practice Thursday specifically, and the comments about the offensive line really were not glowing in any way, shape or form, even to the extent that um, one of my sources thinks that there could be two true freshmen starting on the offensive line and that those two true freshmen may not be on the roster right now. And if you're a, if you're a um, Jalen Garth, if you're an Andre, Andre Carrick, if you're any of these offensive linemen who have been in the program and should have the leg up on a true freshman that isn't even on campus yet, and people who know football and have played football are watching this and saying, yeah, like the offense, they need a whole new offensive line. That that's not a great sign for where you are as a player. And it seems like this, I mean, it's a constant storyline, I feel like, with Texas, right, Chip? I mean, it's been constant, you know, ups and downs on the offensive line and um offensive linemen never really developing too well, um, whatever it may be. But it's this is the time where that they have a, a prime opportunity. It doesn't seem like they're taking it right now. And that, you know, maybe it's a mentality thing. Maybe that's just something that you can't teach, you know, it has to be something that you uh, are born with or something that fire in your gut to realize the opportunity at, at, at hand, you know, on the table for you and whether you're going to take it and run with it. And it doesn't seem like they're doing that. So, um, you know, not, not an ideal situation for sure with the offensive line, but, you know, with uh, Hayden Connor running with the first team at left tackle, that's a huge development because that, that kind of, was not expected, I don't think. Um, and it could be because there's still six true freshmen coming in, you know, that that may be playing a role in it. But that's definitely a significant development, too. Yeah. And I thought um, Steve Sarkeesian, I asked Steve Sarkeesian uh, today, we're recording on Tuesday about Hayden Connor. And I thought this comment was telling. He said, what I like about Hayden is he's a tough guy. He's committed I think he has the right mentality internally from an offensive line perspective, buying into coach flood that group has to play as one. And I think he kind of embodies the characteristics we're looking for. I thought the, the key part of that was he's committed. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a guy who's buying into what uh, coach flood is, is selling and, uh, he's all in and clearly from what we're hearing from Moro Ajomo and from, um, others, there's some hesitancy on the part of Andre Carrick, maybe Jalen Garth, maybe they're just not, maybe it's just not clicking as fast as the coaches would like, but nonetheless, uh, they're guys who've been in the program longer than Hayden Connor and have waited their turn. They should be frothing. Uh, at the mouth at this opportunity to play left tackle at the University of Texas, the most coveted offensive line position where, you know, great players, um, heck, you know, Connor Williams, Sam Cosme, the only uh, draft picks here in recent history, as well as, um, you know, the Jonathan Scott's of the world and on and on. So uh, this is, this is a significant development in my opinion, and we will definitely keep an eye on that as we, as we go forward. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt that there's a ton of confidence in the, the top three receivers on this team, mm -hmm. you know, Xavier worthy, Jordan Whittington, Isaiah Nair, 
And I think we're seeing some flashes from guys like Marcus Washington, Calvante Dixon, Casey Kane. Um, and there's, you know, Bijan Robinson may be the best running back in college football. So, and Roshan Johnson may be the best leader on this team and do it all player can play quarterback. We saw it in the K state game. They've got talent. They've got skill talent. They're developing at the tight end position, but the offensive line is the key to the whole operation. And Calvin Banks and Devin Campbell, two of the top, the two uh, top offensive line recruits in the country at their, um, you know, inside and outside on the offensive line are coming and they're coming in June. And so um, time's running out, Taylor. There are five spring practices left as we record this, including the orange white game. And then, and then those six offensive linemen and don't forget 16. What did Sark say today? 16 newcomers arrive in June. Yeah. So yeah. including a bunch of defensive linemen as well. So, um, you know, this is, this is the time right now. It is, it is. I mean, and you're talking about, you know, with the left tackle position, I mean, that's the second highest paid position in the NFL. And if you have the opportunity to really secure that role at a, you know, blue blood type of college football program, like the university of Texas, you, ha you have to want it. And it doesn't, it's just, I don't know. I just don't really know how to feel about the mentality of, of the offensive line. Cause you, you brought up a good point, Chip. You know, we can talk about all of the, the players that Texas has at the skill positions. We can talk about the quarterbacks, you know, really starting to take that next step. You hope at least uh, based off of the first scrimmage, you know, how they looked in there, but you can have all that in the world. But if you don't do not have an offensive line that does its job, even just doing it, at a media, a little bit higher than mediocre, you know, type of setting, you're essentially fighting with one arm tied behind your back and your right, you know, your left arm tied behind your back, your right hook may be fantastic with the skill players, but you're still, you know, have one half of your, um, your punch is not there. And the, the punch needs to come from the offensive line. And that's something that it, it's gonna, it's not going to be you know, ironed out obviously at this point and in, in uh, spring, I think that if you're a Texas fan, you were hoping that you would start to kind of see the picture um, start to formulate in spring practice on the offensive line, since that's been a position of concern for Texas, obviously adding six, you know, offensive line signees shows the, the priority that this Texas staff is placing on building the offensive line for the future. And, you know, I think that where it's at right now is not the ideal situation um uh, having to potentially rely on two true freshman offensive linemen who aren't on campus haven't gone through spring haven't had any time in a college you know weight room or anything like that that's probably the least ideal situation for any offensive line coach any offensive coordinator any head coach you know in college football or any levels of um you know of the sport i think that's not an ideal situation that's a situation texas is in right now and these guys I mean, it kind of goes, it all kind of ties into what Moro Jomo had to say, though. I mean, this this lack of, of fiery mentality in this locker room, I mean, it was seen all last year. It's been seen for years. It's the here we go again type of mentality, you know, lacking the fire. You can be proud to have Texas across your chest, but you're not representing the Texas football that turned it into a blue blood type of college football program. And so, um, you know, this is, 
the time is running out for these guys, Chip. And, and, and that's before we even talk about anything about the transfer portal. I mean, who's to say some, what if an offensive lineman with a lot of experience enters the transfer portal? I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, Steve Sarkeesian and Kyle Flood, you know, are scouring that, especially at this point of where the offensive line trajectory is from the guys that they do have on campus. Yeah. And if you, you know, if you do the math, it, it sounds like they have three scholarships available still that they could use in the transfer portal. And we know they've been looking at safety. They've been looking at receiver. They've been looking at linebacker and they've been looking at offensive line. So how do you prioritize? Um, that's why Steve Sarkeesian gets paid the big bucks and we will uh, continue to monitor that include, you know, um, including this Ajayi Hall situation, which, you know, there's rumblings that maybe Texas is interested in, in Hall, the mega talented, but mega troubled offensive receiver leaving Alabama. Um, I don't know about that one. From what I've heard, this is a careful what you wish for situation uh, from a, from a team chemistry standpoint i don't i don't think this is a locker room that can take any kind of negativity in terms of a bad locker room presence i'd, I'd stick with what i've got before i bring in something that's going to test um if if nick saban and his culture can't absorb this guy i don't know um just my two cents from afar here uh but taylor um significant news uh, Tuesday that Steve Sarkeesian confirms that early enrollee cornerback Jalen Gilbo is suspended from the team uh, for violating team rules. He is still in school going to class. He is, um, you know, but he's suspended from the team, no team activities. So uh, this is really um, disappointing news because Jalen Gilbo was already rotating in with the first team. He was rotating in with Deshaun Jamison at cornerback. Um, Josh Thompson said he loved uh, watching this kid work during the winter while Josh Thompson was preparing for the NFL draft, said that Jalen Gilbo could be a breakout player for Texas in 2022, said that the kid was all business. Um, and last week, after seven spring practices, uh, Jalen Gilbo suspended. So he did not take part in the, in the scrimmage over the weekend and, um, uh, and obviously is not practicing with the team right now that, uh, so he joins Ishmael Ibrahim, who was suspended in December for, um, after being charged with, um, you know, sending, uh, sexual images, uh, you know, to, a, a third party. And, um, and he was charged with that crime in Payne County in Oklahoma. So, um, those are two cornerbacks who there was a lot of, there is a lot of hope for. They're still technically with the team. They're just not practicing, but this, this one hurts. Yeah, it definitely does. And, and honestly, on the flip side of that, this needs to be a wake up call for Deshaun Jameson. The fact that he is you know, going to be a fifth year senior in 2022 for the 2022 season. And in such a short amount of time, he was, you know, having a true freshman early enrollee who had not even gone through spring, any type of college 
football practices, you know, uh, rotating in at the ones with him. I mean, we, we talked about, uh, I believe it was either last week or the week before about, you know, potentially Deshaun Jameson um, needing to really rise to the occasion because there's a lot of talent that are younger coming in, hungry talent. And Jalen Gilbo was the one. I mean, he's got to see that this is his chance to really, you know, flip the switch because um, that I think, you know, Gilbo was one of the, the ones that was going to be, you know, vying for playing time and starting time, starting reps or anything with Deshaun Jameson. And, and you know, just based off of how up and down his performance was last season, it's he's got to turn it on. And even Josh Thompson, when we had him on the podcast, he he's been very vocal in telling Jameson, like, you got to you got to step up. You got to step up like you, you got to really kind of answer the call. And this is. You know, it's a it's not an ideal situation. It's an unfortunate situation for the cornerback position with Jalen Gilbo being suspended from team activities. There's no, you know, ETA on when that suspension may or may not be lifted um, at this point. And so, um, you know, from behind the scenes, what we've been hearing, there's some, uh, you know, th- this was a suspension that sounds like it was a warranted one. Um, at this point, you know, without getting into too many of the details until we can really confirm a lot of it. But Deshaun Jameson, this is your time. This is your time. You kind of are given a free pass here by Jalen Gilbo, unfortunately, you know, having these off the field issues. Now he's got to answer it, Chip, because, I mean, he's he's went from being a guy that could be an electric playmaker to the guy that was being targeted last season you know people were throwing his way way more than they were throwing josh thompson's way and uh they were picking on him and you know it's it's now he's got to step up this is his last chance to do so and and he's got to answer that call yeah and i i heard that deshaun jameson did have two of his better practices um thursday and saturday and and so maybe he is getting the message the other guy to keep an eye on here um is jameer johnson because jameer johnson um, who, you know, was a red shirt and kind of fell under the radar has had a really good spring. And so Jameer, while well, Ryan Watts, the Ohio state transfer has just come in and locked down, uh, one of those cornerback positions. Um, the, the excitement has been on the other side, as you mentioned, where Deshaun Jameson was fending off Jalen Gilbo and now, uh, Jameer Johnson. So, um, let's see what, uh, what uh, Jameer Johnson can do because I'm, I'm hearing good things about how he's practicing as well. So uh, I did think it was interesting, Taylor safety is obviously one of the most fascinating positions on this football team right now, because you've pulled in four players, um, three of them from other positions. Anthony cook was the nickel. Keaton Crawford was a corner. Maurice Blackwell was a linebacker and and I asked Steve Sarkeesian about it today, and he said it feels it feels better than it did last year. You know, he's like, even though we've got these guys coming in from different positions, he's like, Anthony Cook's played a ton of football. He's got great feel. And he said Keaton Crawford uh, looks better at safety than he ever looked at corner. He said that's not a knock. He, he said, I just think he's a more natural safety. Mm-hmm. And Keaton Crawford is one of those, you know, tough guys, undersized got a chip on his shoulder, can run, will hit you, kind of like Jade Barron, both those guys. I kind of like those guys for that very reason. Texas needs more chip-on-the-shoulder guys who are just going to go out there and give everything they've got and not ride around on their on their recruiting um, 
credentials. So Quandre uh, digs the world. That's what they need. Yeah. Quandre <laughs> Quandre the dog digs. I mean Quandre they, the giant. <laughs> Quandre the giant. I mean, more of those guys, please. And and, and I feel like Keaton Crawford and Jade Barron are more like Quandre Diggs. So let's see it, obviously. Uh, but Steve Sarkeesian, positive about the safety position. I I love the Anthony Cook move. Um, we I think we talked last week about how he he had an interception of Quinn Ewers and two minute drill where he was just perfectly positioned in zone coverage. Ewers never saw him, made the interception. Um, you know, Anthony Cook's a playmaker; he'll hit you. And from what we're hearing, is becoming the vocal guy he needs to be on the field. So um, good positive stuff there. And we also heard. Uh, Jody Barron uh, get praise for echoing calls that that don't have anything to do with him just to make sure that the rest of the defense hears it and you know that kind of over communication is uh, is stuff that this Texas defense can't get enough of because from what we've heard when things were breaking down last year and those you know comeback losses or the losses where they had the you know, double digit lead in the third quarter and then gave up those leads, the communication fell off uh, in the back end of the defense. And so, you know, that has to be uh, a premium. It has to, to be uh, fixed because if you're not talking uh, the right and left hands aren't working together. Yeah. I thought it was interesting too, Chip, to kind of piggyback on talking about the safeties and the players that did move there. When Steve Sarkeesian Tuesday talked about Maurice Blackwell, he said that he's one of the better tacklers on this team. Now he's got to get, you know, more of a find his comfort zone playing in the deep part of the field, you know, moving from the linebacker position to safety. But he said he's a really natural tackler and uh, they saw a lot of it on special teams last year. And so I thought that was very interesting to hear him talk that up. Obviously, I don't, I'm not sitting here saying that Maurice Blackwell is going to all of a sudden be the starter or anything like that. But, um, you know, you need elite tacklers at safety. I mean, you're the last line of the defense. You need to know how to tackle. That is like, you absolutely have to, and you need to know how to communicate. And so having Maurice Blackwell, even if he comes in off the bench, you know, Um, may not be as big of a fall off, even if if he doesn't earn the starting role, if he can continue to find that comfort, you know, find comfort and, um, you know, feeling more kind of, um, I guess, comfortable. Yeah, that's the way to say it. In a safety position, if he's the one that can tackle too, that's a good sign too. Right. Steve Sarkeesian said one of his top three priorities for the spring was fixing the run defense, not giving up so many explosive running plays. Everyone's mind is going right back to the Oklahoma game when Caleb Williams runs for 66 yards and a touchdown. And then they Oklahoma wins in overtime with, you know, by running the same, you know, running play for a touchdown um, twice. I mean, it just uh, blows your mind. That's going to keep Mo Blackwell in the mix at safety because um, he's a guy that I hear from sources that he is a team guy. He's bought in, he's committed. He, he wants to be, he wants to be a great player and he's willing to put in that work. And, and even though he's, you know, feeling his way and all that, this is a guy you got to keep an eye on. And interestingly enough, Taylor, for all the criticism that Moro Ojimo is getting from Steve Sarkeesian for, you know, talking about trying to keep the team focused. He did single out, um, you know, Keaton Crawford, Mo Blackwell, 
um, Jade Barron, Jalen Ford as guys who are, he, he called them, uh, he said they have a good mold. Mm-hmm. And, and that was his way of saying, these guys are football players. These are, these are guys who are going to be part of the solution. And so, um, and Mike Roach, our, you know, recruiting guru here at Horns 24 seven, uh, Mo Blackwell was one of his favorite players, uh, in the 21 class because he's, he's a dog, you know, he wants to, he, he reminds me a little bit of Kenny Vaccaro. He's not that fast, but he takes that straight line to the tackle and destroys people. So, um, let's see if he can get more comfortable, play that fast. That's the key in the secondary. And you got to have that sure tackler. Like you said, I mean, you can't be losing in overtime to Oklahoma by, you know, giving up 33 yard touchdown runs for crying out loud. Right. Um, all right. So safety position, interesting work in progress, Taylor. Um, and remember real quick, you know, um, Maurice Blackwell in high school, he was, he was a hundred meter runner too. And if you go to his 24 seven, sports scouting report from Gabe Brooks. He talks all about that speed. Now, I think that, as you mentioned, you know, that speed needs to, you have to be comfortable back there too. Otherwise the speed you're, it's going to be slowed. You know what I mean? Cause you can't just, um, right. Tyler Owens was yeah. a 10 flat hundred guy, but couldn't process quickly enough to play like he had 10 flat hundred speed. Exactly. That's what you're going to want to hope that you see from Maurice Blackwell, the more and more comfortable he does get at that safety position. Yeah. Um, Okay, one more little nugget. Uh, Isaac Pearson, I'm hearing, doing okay yeah. as the punter. Uh, has a variety of, you know, he can rugby punt, he can kick that underspin, uh, that nine iron punt that everyone talked about with Michael Dixon, the one that bounces backwards, um, and he can boom it. And so, look, if he can control all three of those things, that's that's great news because that uh, Michael Dixon has made pro bowls off off of that uh that underspin punt that he somehow lands in the you know in the first five you know with it within the five yard line and then it bounces back and this guy's all you know pin the uh ball deep in the opposing territory so right well remember what charlie strong nicknamed uh um michael dixon red river because he's like he may kick it over the red river or he may kick it onto red river street. You don't know when he first started off, not, not saying Isaac Pierce is anywhere near, um, you know, the level of, uh, you know, of Michael Dixon, but it's, but they are both pro kick Australia guys. Exactly, They came from the same place. So, um, that, you know, and I think at that, at, uh, the punting, you know, punter, I think that any positive developments, even if there's slight, like just small incremental steps that you're hearing or that we're hearing from sources at practice, you know, you got to take those when you can get them because Texas has been in a position where they've really had solid special teams play, solid punters um, for a number of years now. And the last thing that you want is not solid kicking game. And so any type of progress, I think is you got to take, you got to take the wins where you get them, especially in spring practice, especially when there's really not even a, a kicker on here. So if the punter is, you know, making some strides, that's a good news if you're a Texas fan. Yeah. And I'm hearing, uh, Gabo Lozano is leading the place kicking duties over Burt Auburn right now. But again, Will Stone, the, the re- freshman recruit from Austin regents who can punt and kick field goals 
will be one of those uh, 16 uh, arriving in June. So, all right, Taylor, uh, before we get to love it or leave it real quick, Texas baseball, I got to mention, um, you know, the series win over TCU started off on Friday night with Pete Hansen throwing a two hitter uh, in his first complete game uh, as a Longhorn. And this was ridiculous stuff from Pete Hansen. He recorded a strikeout in every inning except the fifth, which was a one, two, three inning. It was two ground outs or a ground out and two fly outs. Um, otherwise, he recorded a strikeout in every inning. He struck out the side to open the game. I mean, he was so dialed in uh, to start that TCU game. They won it to zip. They needed him to pitch brilliantly because TCU had solid pitching in that game. Um, and Pete Hans, it's interesting to me, on the weekend that they announced they're going to retire Taylor Youngman's number 26, uh, making him the eighth Longhorn baseball player to have his, his jersey retired. Pete Hansen is putting up similar numbers to the year that Taylor Youngman won the, the Dick Hauser trophy uh, as the national player of the year in 2011. Um, and, you know, uh, in that season, Youngman held opposing um, batters to a, a 158 batting average. And Pete Hansen right now is at 176. And he's just, he is the tip of the spear for this baseball team. And, you know, he's, not as he's not the flamethrower that Ty Madden was. You know, he's not going to beat you down with his heat. He's going to beat you down with his precision, his ability to change speeds on pitches and, and his focus. Honestly, this kid is uh, a laser beam right now. It's fun to watch. It is. And on the flip side of that, you know, Tristan Stevens had, I think that was his worst outing of the year. Only played, um, pitched two innings, gave up eight hits, uh, six runs, five earned runs, and only struck out one. Um, I, I mean, what's your analysis of that, Chip? I'm curious for your input on. You know, it's a he his his power sinker ball isn't sinking enough. It's staying up, and and batters are you know um, they're getting good wood on it. I mean, obviously, my gosh, they barreled up six runs uh, right off the bat. And that's not like Tristan Stevens. Typically his sinker ball is got the right sink. I mean, sometimes it'll bounce off of home plate and guys will still be swinging at it because, you know, he's got the ability to make it look like, uh, you know, another pitch it can look like a fastball. And so, you know, I think Tristan Stevens will get it corrected. I, I know Aaron Nixon has lost control of his fastball. He's not closing games right now. And, he got spot duty um, on Saturday in that loss to TCU. It's weird to see Aaron Nixon come in in the fifth inning, not, you know, in the ninth mm -hmm. um, because he can't locate his fastball right now. But I think Tristan Stevens, because he's so experienced, you know, Nixon's in his second year as a college player. Tristan Stevens is a four year player. Um, so I think he'll get it corrected. I think he'll be okay. Um, he just can't, you know, his, his power sinker needs to sink and it's not, it's not sinking enough right now, Taylor. Right. Um, so, and look, the, the Texas offense has been fantastic. Um, gotta, gotta give the love to Ivan Melendez and, and Murphy Staley. Murphy Staley's hit safely in 18 straight games. Taylor. I mean, he is, you know, batting over 450. It's, it's so impressive to see this guy total grinder, 
um, sort of a shining example of, of Troy Tulowitzki's work as the hitting coach at Texas. And um, this Texas offense can, can bail and has bailed Texas out of some, some tight spots. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Murphy Staley leads the team with a 438 batting average. Ivan Melendez second with 378. The two of them, the crazy thing to me is just the two of them combining for 24 jacks is unbelievable. <laughs> like that is, that's very, very impressive. I did misspeak. Uh, Tristan Stevens, I think his worst outing was against Texas Tech when he was pulled in the first inning um, after giving up, I think, what was it, six runs? five runs, six runs, something like that in the first inning. So I did misspeak there, but yeah. Yeah. And those are two of the best coaching staffs. They may see something in the scouting report and Tristan's going to have to do a lot of self scout right now. Make sure he's not tipping anything um, because we've seen that. Right. Guys can develop some habits that, that uh, end up tipping off the, the hitter. So. And I think um, the thing with him too, right now, Chip, just like last thought here is which I think what, with baseball players, you know, them getting into the slump and then allowing the mental take over the physical, that's so crucial. And you, you hope right now that that does not happen for Tristan Stevens because, you know, again, he had Texas Tech on um, mm-hmm. March 26, had a, a, you know, pretty decent performance against Oklahoma the following Saturday, then had the, you know, the poor performance against TCU. So really he's, had one good performance in the last uh, three, you know, Saturdays. So you just hope that that mental um, doesn't take over his physical and uh, take over, you know, what he's taught to do and what he's what he's um, coached to do. Because uh, that that's, I mean, I, you know, my brother was a pitcher. You, those slumps are real when they get into them. It's not just batters that get into them. The pitchers, they, it's a very mental game, and it really can it can really screw with you a little bit. Part in the, you know, poor term. And my dad was just visiting this past week, so I was glad I said screw instead of something else. <laughs> Talking about yeah. baseball, but um, yeah, I mean, you, you just kind of hope that he can just kind of clear the mechanism. I'll, I'll use that uh, term from the yeah. game, but just kind of focus on what he knows uh, how to do and what he does best. Yeah, and the thing about Tristan Stevens is he pitches to contact. Like he he expects ground balls. He's yeah. a ground ball pitcher, and so you know, just make sure that sinker ball has sink and let those guys wrap those, you know, little grounders up to Trey Faltini and Skylar Messinger and, um, you know, Mitchell Daly and Ivan Melendez. Uh, they go after playing Stephen F. Austin on Tuesday night, they go to Kansas state for a three game series this weekend. And, um, Texas 24 and 10, number seven in the country now trailing number Number four, Texas Tech, and number um, number five, Oklahoma State. Interestingly enough, the number one team in the country is Tennessee, who's thirty-one and one. The one loss is to Texas. So, uh, and real quick, Taylor Scotty Scheffler, um, what an amazing month this guy's had. Uh, he's won four of his last six tournaments, including the WGC Dell match play here in Austin. Then he goes to the Masters and and wins. Uh, and interestingly enough, in his postgame press conference, he uh, said that he cried like a baby Sunday morning and told his wife, I don't think I'm ready for this stuff. Like he didn't think he was ready for all the hype and all the stuff that would come if he won the Masters. 
and his wife Meredith, who he's known since he was in high school at Highland Park there in Dallas, uh, said, who are you to say if you're ready? We're not in charge of our lives. God is in charge of our lives. Trust him. Go out and do what you do. And he did. And he won. And, um, you know, I just thought it was really powerful because um, Scotty Scheffler has Teddy Scott as his caddy. Teddy Scott was the caddy for Bubba Watson during his two Masters championships. And then they, you know, Bubba started to struggle last fall. They parted ways. And um, Scotty Scheffler and Teddy Scott had met at a PGA Tour Bible study. And that's why Scotty Scheffler called Teddy Scott and said, listen, I don't just want any guy on my bag. I want a Christian. And, and Teddy Scott said, whoa. And then he went to his family and said, we need to pray about this. And I'm going to let you all make the decision. Teddy Scott's family said, we think you should do it. And here they are. Um, it, you know, it was about the time Teddy Scott came on his bag that everything started going up for Scotty Scheffler, but Scotty Scheffler is getting it done. And that was unbelievable. Becomes the third Longhorn to win the Masters, Taylor, joining uh, Ben Crenshaw and Jordan Spieth. Yeah, that was a while. And honestly, we talk about the Masters. Rory McIlroy, talk about a comeback. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that got a little... Uh, Got interesting. Close for com too close for comfort there for a little bit with him, you know, kind of crawling his way up. I mean, um, you know, finishing second at seven under behind uh, Scotty Scheffler at ten under. I mean that that was a that was kind of wild to see. You were I, I was when I was watching it. Um, you know, I was like, you know, people were talking about Smith. Uh, what's his? I, I'm not. Very yeah, good. Cam Smith. Cam Smith. Yeah, like oh, he he may he may catch Scheffler, and then you you know, saw McElroy kind of like come from the bushes. You're like, uh, I think it's going to be the other. It's not going to be him. It's going to be someone else. And uh, yeah, that was an impressive, I mean, obviously never impressive to finish second in my opinion, but still let that, uh, that got interesting there for a little bit during a Sunday's round there. Yeah. And McElroy, you know, he was the hot thing and he's won all the majors except for the masters. And he had a big lead going into the back nine and he, you know, fell apart on, on hole number 10 and he's never quite been the same at the Masters since and you know jordan spieth um wins big in 15 hits it in the water on 12 on 16 you mentioned cam smith now they all think about it when they go to 12 they think about jordan spieth hitting it in the water and losing the masters and cam smith hit it in the water on 12 and lost the masters or lost any chance of of contending for scott you know with scotty scheffler uh down the stretch but scotty scheffler even said he you know, got to 12 and thought about Jordan Spieth and, you know, wanted to make sure he, he took enough clubs. So, uh, great stuff. Great stuff. Scotty Scheffler, hottest story, uh, in sports, um, right now. So, uh, and the most, I'll, I'll never forget. I said it last week on the flagship podcast. I covered the 2016 NCAA championship when Texas played Oregon in the final and Scotty Scheffler drew Aaron wise, the medalist in that NCAA championship. They were playing on Oregon's home course and Scotty Scheffler destroyed Aaron Wise. Five and four. It wasn't close. The Oregon fans were all cheering for Aaron Wise. And every time Scotty Scheffler rolled in a birdie to beat him, he would, you know, pump his fist and say, hook him. You know, <laughs> hopefully loud enough for his teammates to hear him across the course. I just, I love the guy. He's, 
he's a grinder and he's way more competitive than he than he leads on with that ah uh, shucks stuff but uh all right taylor you ready for some love it or leave it i am before we get to love it or leave it we're going to take a really quick break but stick around we will have much more football talk coming up so stay tuned we will be right back the baseball season is in full swing which means you need to listen to fantasy baseball today part of the cbs sports podcast network Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever, and this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best job! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Chip, uh, you ready to talk some more football? Because I am. Do it. Let's do it. All righty. My first one for you is love it or leave it. There's no stopping the Quinn Ewers hype train after his sterling performance in Saturday scrimmage. Yeah, I feel like the guy standing in the middle of the railroad tracks right now about to get obliterated. Um, I mean, I I want to leave this because I think it's important for the hype train to slow down um, for the rest of this spring. I mean, unless he goes out in the spring game and just, you know, looks like Patrick Mahomes. Um, we'll go case by case here. But right now we have one a sample size of one. It was a wowzer scrimmage. And I mean, like I said, I had a source tell me it was the best performance by a Texas quarterback in a practice or scrimmage in the last three years. So um, it, it was significant. It was a eye catching, you know, deep ball touchdowns, weird uh, arm angles like Patrick Mahomes, his apex training mate. Um, so Look, that's exciting. That's great. But please, uh, there needs to be some stopping of the Quinn Ewers hype train. So I'm going to leave this, Taylor, even though I think with fans and their minds, there's no stopping the hype train. How about you? Yeah, I guess it, it, it's more of who are we asking here? Like if, if I'm if I if the we're talking, um, there's no stopping the Texas fans hype train over Quinn Ewers, then I would love it because I think that Texas fans are just, you know, kind of foaming at the mouth, wanting to see this guy be the guy that's going to bring Texas football back to, to prominence. And yeah, they want confirmation bias, right? They, yes. They want us to say, yes, this is, this is the dude. He's the guy. He is the, the golden ticket back to the glory years of Texas football. Um, uh, I'm also going to leave it though and saying you've got to just temper your expectations right now because it was as you you mentioned first scrimmage, they're not getting hit. You know it's it's not like the a full contact type of situation where like in a game or something like that. So um, you know you've got to really. I know Sark's his whole saying is all gas no brakes. I think you got to tap the brakes right now on Quinier's. However, as we mentioned earlier in the show. You take those those um, you know solid performances when you can get them, and I think that's a that's a good sign that things are starting to click. You know, um, you've got to see it more consistently though, because Steve Sarkeesian was quick to say that 
you know, the quarterbacks threw some interceptions during Tuesday's practice where they didn't have any on Saturday. So um, I think at this point, you you take the wins where you get them, but you want to focus more on the consistency over so building up the hype of the potential of somebody. So I'm going to leave it from our perspective saying there needs to be a little bit stopping of the Quinn Ewers hype train. I know fans are not going to do that, but you know, I, I do think still not going to discount anything that um, he did in that, in that scrimmage. Cause it was across the board, the same, you know, the same um, comments from various sources that were in attendance. It wasn't just one source, you know, saying, you know, just talking this person up and the other people be like, Oh, I don't, I didn't really see that. So I, you know, that this was a, the consensus. So that's a good sign. That's so yeah. I'm going to agree with you on that. All right. Love it or leave it. Number two. All right. My second one is love it or leave it. The most significant storyline of spring football right now is sophomore offensive lineman Hayden Connor getting reps with the first team at left tackle. I'm going to have to love this, um, Taylor, because, um, you know, Jalen Gilbo getting suspended, he's a freshman and was not probably expected uh, to be a starter uh, if he could have pulled it off. And, and he's still with the team. So, you know, he's suspended, um, but he's still with the team. Uh, but Hayden Connor is a guy who um, was playing guard through the first eight practices of spring football. Uh, while Andre Carrick and Jalen Garth rotated at left tackle, Christian Jones over at right tackle. And, and now Hayden Connor is taking snaps with the first team at left tackle. Um, I mean, Hayden Connor's a guard. And so if, but he's versatile and look, Justin Blaylock was a guard who could play tackle. Um, I'm not saying Hayden Connor is Justin Blaylock because Blaylock was one of the best offensive linemen in the last 20 years here. But this is significant because what's going on with Andre Carrick and Jalen Garth? You guys are the veterans on this uh, offensive line. It's your time. It, the door is wide open before Kelvin Banks and Devin Campbell get to campus. And and now Hayden Connor is getting reps at left tackle. This uh this is a concern, Taylor, and um, I think these coaches are sending big-time messages right now, and and you got five practices left, so you better – five spring practices left. You better figure it out fast. Um, so I'm going to love that. How about you? You know, um, ah, this is hard because after, you know, talking to some sources last week coming out of practice, you know, as, as I mentioned, if you didn't check my Thursday practice report, I know it's kind of – dated now, but it's still worth going back because the source, one of the sources I spoke with talking about the offensive line was very open and very blunt in the assessment. Yeah, of, so there was no fire. Yeah. So it didn't yeah. look like they were connected. I mean, yeah, are, yeah they, they, uh, they, they, they need to be fighting more with a defensive line. There needs to be O-line, D-line scuffles in practice. That's not happening. Um, one said right now, some of these guys are big, but they're slow and some guys aren't big enough. And those, those are a type of quotes from a source that I, I wholeheartedly trust. So it's hard for me to shake it a little bit, you know, cause I'm like Hayden Carner may be starting there right now, but who's to say that's going to be the case when the six, you know, true freshmen, um, uh, summer enrollees do make it to campus. So I'm going to 
have to leave it and say to me after talking to Steve Sarkeesian on Tuesday that the most significant storyline of spring football is how well the safeties being moved from different positions coming in and playing safety like Anthony Cook and Keaton Crawford especially. I mean, hearing Steve Sarkeesian say that Keaton looks like a better safety than he ever really looked at corner and that's awesome. It's not a knock on him at corner. He just looks like he's in a more natural position. That That's big. I mean, the safety play last year was bad. I mean, I, I you can't sugarcoat. Yeah. I mean, it's like, gosh, like that. It was just, it was poor from, from the start of the season. It was poor in the spring game last year. I mean, my goodness, it was, you know, I, I don't even want to get into it. It was, it was bad. It was really bad. And so, um, it was poor morning, know, noon and night. Yeah, exactly. There was never really any any spark or any anything that gave anybody, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings going to bed thinking about the secondary, especially the safety position last year. So I think that, that that's probably, for me, the most significant storyline because that has been such a concern entering spring football and then hearing that these, you know, the players that um, have not played the safety position are really looking really natural there. That's what you want to see. And that's why you know, you, that's why you, you still have to kind of recruit your own team a little bit. And they're, you know, I feel like the staff is doing a good job, at least, you know, finding the players that would be the good fit to fill other position needs. And it's working out better than I think a lot of people expected. So I'm going to leave it and say that the safety, um, the safety is coming on with Anthony Cook and Keaton Crawford. Yeah. And Jaron Thompson is sort of the forgotten man there. He's uh he's a backup uh, right now. Although I hear he's getting some first team reps. So, you know, Jaron Thompson started five games at safety last year before getting benched. Um, but he is still, and he's the backup nickel behind Jody Barron. So, all right, Taylor, love it or leave it. Number three. All right. My final one for you is, <clears throat> excuse me, love it or leave it. Steve Sarkeesian was right to publicly express disappointment in Moro Ojomo for making comments about the challenges of getting an entire team to burn with the same desire to win. Yeah, specifically, Sarkeesian was uh, disappointed, I'll say. Maybe he was upset privately. We don't know. Uh, but he was disappointed that, that you know, Ojomo said, uh, you know, some players on the team are easily distracted by chasing alcohol, women, and money. Uh, and how do you get their attention to burn with that same desire to win? Um, you know, and he talked about young guys being more uh, caught up with trying to earn 40000 in NIL money than trying to hone their football craft to go earn $50 million in a in an NFL contract or two. So... I thought they were valid points. And I think Steve Sarkeesian, you know, he said his heart was in the right place. He said Moro Jomo's heart was in the right place. The forum wasn't correct. And as a result, Moro Jomo's not going to be talking to us anytime soon, which is unfortunate because I think he's one of the more thoughtful uh, players on this team. And he's a, you know, he's a big time contributor. So, um, and Steve Sarkeesian said, look, you got to mow your own lawn uh, before you can talk about how others are keeping their house. Uh, that was the message to Moro Ajomo as well. So, um, you know, from what I'm hearing, Keandre Coburn, Alfred Collins have been holding down the first team uh, defensive tackle positions. Uh, Moro Ajomo, 
Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy all, um, you know, rotating uh, with the second team, which is amazing because I think Byron Murphy is so good. I mean, they're so talented at defensive line, Taylor. I really think and hope that the Texas defense is going to use more four-man front this year because that's where their strength and numbers are. Um, you play a three, four, if you're loaded at linebacker or, uh, or outside linebacker and Texas clearly wasn't loaded at those positions last year. So, um, I'm going to, I'm going to leave this, um, because I think Moro Jomo was just, he's frustrated and he, he wants to win. He wants to win so badly that it keeps him up at night. And, and so I'm going to leave this, um, you know, I think Steve Sarkeesian will get over it. But uh, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to leave it too. I think I, I see both sides of it. Um, you know, I see why Steve Sarkeesian would not be too thrilled that this was said publicly. However, Steve Sarkeesian also has, when when he's been asked about the buy-in of the team in the past, he even this past spring did say, you've got to ask the players. And that's what started this. So it was a question asked to Moro Ajomo because Steve Sarkeesian essentially told us media members that the players are the ones that are going to tell you more about the buy-in. He felt that the buy-in was good, but you got to hear from the players. And that's a question you have to ask them. Well, that was asked of Moro Ajomo and he answered. And um, you know, I mean, he maybe he didn't need to go into as much detail mentioning, you know, chasing women and alcohol and, you know, $40,000. But what he said was spot on. I mean, you the the fact that, you know, the NIL has really made things very um, tricky, I think, inside college, inside college football, especially because that's where you're hearing a lot of the the big dollars are really going to those student athletes that are in college football. And so I think that there's a little bit of a natural distraction because the other thing that Moro Joma did mention was, you know, there's certain guys that have that are in high school having film crews following them and filming every single like thing that they're doing as a recruit. They haven't even played in college. And it's not about the NIL money that you get, you know, maybe one, two, three, four years in college, you should be playing for your second NFL contract. And that's what I thought that was really powerful when he mentioned that it's not, not even talking about your first NFL contract. He was talking about you play for your second NFL contract. And so then you can, you know, live in the Spanish Oaks and you can drive the Rolls Royces and you can do that. And that's, that's so true. What he said is absolutely true. And I think, um, you know, for a guy that has been involved with, you know, ups and downs from just a lot of he's facing a lot of adversity from um, the moment he stepped foot on a college campus, not personally or anything, but just the teams he's played on. And there you could tell that this was a there's a level of frustration with him with the the losing, I think, of the past. It boiled over in his comments and I liked it. I, that's a fire that I want to see from more Texas players. I want to see that fire. I want to see these guys hate to lose more than they love to win because that has been a problem dating back to honestly when Mac Brown was the head coach. I'll never forget. I asked that question to Tyrone Swoops in 2014. I said, do you hate to lose more than you enjoy winning? And he told me he couldn't answer that question. And when he said that, I was like, well, you just answered it because that should be an instant response of I hate to lose. I asked Quandre Diggs that same year. 
that. And I didn't even have to ask Quandry. I knew the answer of what Quandry Diggs was, but he was like, no, we, we have nowhere near the guys that hate to lose as much as they love to win. That was 2014. <laughs> you know, we're in 2022. This is a, this has been a common mentality, lack of mentality, I should say, from top to bottom um, inside the locker room at Texas football, regardless of who the coaches have been. And so and Texas basketball too, because Chris Beard said that after they lost in the big 12 yeah. tournament, he said, I don't think we have enough guys who hate to lose more than they love to win. Yeah. And, and that was what I remember when I asked that question, some people at my former company that I work with some um, subscribers there and people on like social media were like roasting me saying that was a terrible question. It's like, no, I grew up with a professional athlete of a dad and brother are, I mean, you, you could be the second in what you did in your life and it would still not be what you should have been doing. And that's, that's how I was raised. And so I know, I mean, this is, this is a common issue with Texas football. Um, it's been a common issue for uh, close to a decade now. And so I, I have no problem with what Moro Jomo um, said. I have more of a problem if, if guys in the locker room are upset with him for speaking openly. Cause it's like, well, he's, he's talking about you like that. That's who he's pointing to. He may not have said your name, but if you're, you know, offended by him calling out the fact that there's not enough people that, you know, just despise losing and want to change the trajectory of Texas football, then, you know, if you're offended by that, then maybe this is not the sport for you to play. Yeah. Yeah. Boom. <laughs> How's that for a flagship podcast on a, on a 10th spring football practice Tuesday, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> There's right. our fire. Where's that? <laughs> yeah. We got some fire up in here. <laughs> Start talking Please about losing. <laughs> I'll never, I'll tell a funny story, Chip. I think I've told you the story. So when my dad, after, you know, this was years after he had retired playing baseball. Um, Your you dad, know, who was on the 69 Miracle yeah. Mets, scored the game-winning run in game four of the World Series that year, was the only rookie on that team other than Nolan Ryan. Yeah, they both were considered, I mean, it was a young team from, you know, top to bottom, but they were the rookie, you know, very young players there. And when he was coaching one of my brother's little league teams, they uh, came in second place in the finish. And the the coach that they had like a trophy ceremony at the end of the, the tournament or at the end of the championship game. And the coach that won took the trophy first and talked about how you have to be accepting of losing and, you know, you have to be a good sport and all this type of stuff. My dad walks in to get the second place trophy. And this is Little League, mind you. <laughs> he goes up and he goes, you show me a good loser and I'll show you who the loser is and walked off. And he was not allowed to coach anymore <laughs> after that comment, but he's right. So that that's where, that that's the type of mentality that we were all raised with. And uh, I liked hearing Moro Jomo having a, you know, kind of that fiery um, despise, you know, not wanting to ever accept losing. Yeah. Well, if, if the guys who should take the next step start to burn with that desire, guys like Alfred Collins, Byron Murphy, your, your best leaders, your most feared and respected leaders are the guys up front. Mm -hmm. Everyone talks about Casey Hampton, like case, we need to get Casey Hampton back in the flagship podcast just to talk to him about what he would tell incoming freshmen because you know, Will Matthews told us on the flagship podcast interview and go check that out. If you haven't Uh former fullback for the Longhorns played in 03 and 04 clearing, uh, you know, holes for Cedric Benson, God rest his soul. And, you know, Will Matthews talked about that. And that's, that's the kind of stuff that, um, you know, 
we just we gotta see more of this. Yeah, more scuffles. More scuffles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Casey Hampton would say, "You don't you ever let me catch you loafing? Don't you ever?" You know, and guys would be like, <laughs> "I mean, need more Casey Hamptons, Casey." Uh, and we need we'll get Casey uh, on the flagship podcast because that that's that's worth the whole interview episode on its own. Oh, for sure. The intimidation of the big guys up front. All right. There you have it. We gave you our fire for today. Thanks so much for listening here on the flagship podcast for Taylor Estes. I am Chip Brown. Until next time, we'll see you over at Warren's 24-7. And until then, stay safe and keep the faith. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.